Wow, clapping. Whoops. I need my stand. Thank you. So good morning. That was lame. Good morning. There it is. So I was here last week. I mentioned uh, at that time the faithful few were here, those that hadn't gone off to Kakwa or were somewhere else worried about the rain. So I'm glad that you're all here and also for those online and of course next door at the long-term care facility. Uh, last year or last week I was told to give a little bio and I kind of rambled on. So today I'll just say, my name's Dave. That's my wife, Mary. We've been attending for a couple of years, but because of COVID, we've actually only been physically here for a month or something like that. Uh, I've been in part-time and full-time ministry in the past, and if you want to know anything else about me, go look at last week's uh, bio. That's all I'm going to say. There's a little, okay, go there. Go find out. So why don't we pray? Let's talk to God. Lord, I have just so very much valued and enjoyed the worship thus far. It's, I feel like you just every week prepare our hearts um, to hear from you, to receive you, uh, maybe to come back to you. And so right now in quiet, Lord, we say, hallowed be your name. That is, you're to be revered. You're esteemed. You're important and significant in our lives. And we want to acknowledge that. I think of when Jesus prayed, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, that that was maybe uh, an indication of us right now. Because I recognize that your kingdom having arrived, not only in the person of Jesus Christ doing his ministry on earth, but now us as his representation. We are, we are the living personification of your kingdom come, your will being done here. So we just say thank you. And we ask that you would give us what we need daily, our daily bread, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually, the things that we need each day. We're not asking for 10 years from now or down the road. Lord, uh, today has enough trouble of its own. Would you provide for us and, and for the people in our community around us or perhaps even here who aren't sure where they're going to get that resource for this day, I just pray, Lord, your grace, your provision for them. So as we're about to come to your word and, and listen not just to me but to try to hear from you, um, I pray that we would set aside everything that would attract or distract us. That as we know you don't lead us to temptation, you deliver us from evil. I pray that uh, we would take a moment to confess anything we need to, to clear the slate so that we can commune with you by your spirit. That you might get glory forever and ever, and right now, this moment. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're in this series talking about questions God asks. And I love that. I, I love the fact that God asks questions. 
And, and it's not because he needs our advice or because he's ignorant. The first, I think the first message we heard on this by Josh was about Adam and Eve, right? Our first parents and God's going, where are you? Where, where are you? And, and do you believe Adam and Eve could successfully play hide and seek with God? No. God asked that question rhetorically that they might say, hey, yeah, where are we? We're hiding in the bushes instead of walking together, communing with our Lord. What are we doing here? How did we get here? How do we get back? So God asks us questions kind of so that we would ask it of ourselves and respond. Last week, we heard about Moses. And uh, in the midst of God's calling him to come, to return to Egypt and deliver the people out of bondage, Moses, with all of his excuses and objections, God said, hey, what do you have there? And he showed him in that question, Moses, you are empowered. Whatever it is you need to pull this off, I have given it to you. I will be there with you. You've got this. And if you believe that, because we're talking about that in the context of ourselves as well, that God has equipped us, today is kind of a sequel to that. We might feel that we're equipped, that we've got something to offer, but maybe we're not ready to respond. So today's message, as we look at Isaiah and a question that changed his life, this message, this passage helps us to realize that maybe I'm not emotionally or spiritually ready. How do I get ready to respond when God nudges me, urges me, calls me to something? So that's kind of where we're going this morning. I hope that makes sense. Well, I hope it will make sense. So I want to start with a really kind of fun illustration. It was almost 20 years ago that a movie came out called Bruce Almighty. Show of hands, who's seen Bruce Almighty? Good, many of you. This is, I mean, when it came out, the first weekend, it made like $64 million just in the U.S. alone, and 20 years ago, that was a lot, and it was really popular, and I boycotted it because I thought, oh, this is going to be heresy. This is going to be terrible, and some Christian friends said, this was hilarious. You got to go see it, and I went and saw it, and I was like, that was hilarious. So this isn't a plug for the movie, but maybe it is. If you don't know or if you don't remember, the story goes, there is this guy, Bruce, who's really, really bugged by all the injustices and things happening in the world. And he kind of yells and lashes out at God because of it. So Bruce, of course, is played by our very own Jim Carrey. And God, who else? The voice, Morgan Freeman. So God comes to Bruce and says, right, you think you can do better? I'll let you. And he gives Bruce omnipotent power for a day. Why am I telling you this? Here's the part that's kind of hilarious, maybe sad. The, the Hollywood writers in creating this story had Bruce being allowed to call on God if things went poorly. And not just by prayer, Bruce was given a phone number to call. 
And the Hollywood script guys thought, let's make this sound really realistic. Like God's going to give somebody else all his omnipotent power per day. No. Um, so he gives Bruce a phone number. And the script writers, rather than the typical Hollywood 555 prefix that doesn't exist, they wrote a random phone number. And that number belonged to this poor lady named Dawn in Florida. <laughs> totally serious. And in that weekend, every hour, minimum 20 calls, day and night, people called. A few of them pranksters, but many, many of them seeking God's help in their desperation. Can you imagine? It's sort of funny and kind of sad all at once that people in their desperation would dial that number, hoping beyond hope, maybe somehow God will respond this way. Wanting to get a touch from God. Well, this is actually the experience Isaiah had. God actually showing up around 740 BC. I wonder what would happen if I told you, I promise you, next week, Sunday, come here, God will be here for sure. And he will, he will be here to answer your questions. God's going to show up at this place. Does that sound attractive to you? What if we went out and told all the neighborhood, do you think this place would be packed out? Or is that kind of genuine presence too terrifying for most people? What do you, what do you think? I think the latter. That might not be so wonderful. And that was the experience, actually, for Isaiah, who showed up at church, and God showed up, and it wasn't a, a totally easy, happy experience for him. So I want to give you just a little bit of a backdrop. So at this time when this situation happens, we're going to read the passage in a moment. Things have gone badly for the people of God again. We're talking about Judah, the southern part of Israel. They had had a succession of really bad leadership, bad kings, corrupt and people followed suit, and things were going poorly. But right at this time, they had just had Uzziah as king. He was good, he was wise, he was on track, and people were coming back. But now at this time when Isaiah goes to the temple, Uzziah, he's dead. He has died, and wouldn't you know it, the nation is going crazy again. Their, their moral compass is off, and everything's going wrong. So what does Isaiah do? You find him here with a strong faith in the temple, and he has a really weird experience. So can we have that passage read? Chris, where are you? Let's hear from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. 
With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. From that moment on, Isaiah's life would never be the same. And I see in this passage a bunch of stages. You might not have recognized it. We're going to kind of meet this out. There's a whole bunch of steps in that short little experience that Isaiah had to go through in order to be prepared in his heart to say, pick me, basically. Now, I know that this is a, a, um, a description, not a prescription, this isn't some kind of one, two, three, A, B, C, here's what you must do. It's not a formula. It's a, it's a narrative description of a situation and a scene. But I see in it some steps that Isaiah had to go through. In fact, the same steps that Judah needed to go through, the entire nation, in order to come back to God. And I believe they're the same steps every Christian goes through. to live a genuine, growing, authentic life with Christ. I really do. And so I want us to walk through the stages, and in the midst of that, we'll get to the question. All right? Bear with me. So stage one, we're concerned. We feel a need. Isaiah is concerned about the nation. That's why he's gone to the temple to pray. He's worried. He's upset. He doesn't like what he's seeing. If you go a chapter before, we won't read through it, but there's a whole bunch of woes that Isaiah declares kind of on behalf of God, kind of God's indictment to the people. He says, woe to those who live uh, just to amass wealth. He says, woe to those who run after drink. Woe to those who indulge in, uh, in sin, wickedness, deceit. He says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Like, they are off base. And Isaiah recognizes that. And it concerns him. He's acutely concerned about it. And I would say for us, like him, often our greatest encounters of God begin at the place of our greatest concerns or needs. We don't 
fully experience God and live out our faith with him through Christ by being indifferent and apathetic. It's when we get this place of something's not right in ourselves or in the world around us that begins a process of connecting maybe closer, deeper, more authentically with the Lord himself. So we get to stage two. We consult. We consult God. In other words, we look up for answers. Right? We don't check the horoscope. We don't look for our own, you know, self-help thing. There are some good pieces of information out there, but we look to God first. And when Isaiah goes to the temple, he sees God seated on his throne, exalted on high. His train fills the temple. God exalted on high. That's God who is king and judge. He's in charge. He's above all of this that we see around us. The fancy word for that is God is transcendent. He's above us. He's beyond us. He's more than what we experience. He's righteous. He's completely holy. We live amongst the muck and mire of our own dirty lives. He lives above that and yet comes and connects with us. So I would say, if you're distraught, if you have concerns with yourself, with your family, with your neighborhood, with the, with the city, with whatever, yes, turn to God in your distress. Go to him. But when you do, stop and consider who he is, what he's like. Don't just run in with your questions or your requests. Take time to know who Jesus Christ is. Know what God is like before you bring all your requests to him. The psalmist, uh, in Psalm 40, the psalmist wrote, I am poor and needy, so may the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh my God, do not delay. So Isaiah is concerned. Therefore he consults. Next, he confesses. Third stage. We're overwhelmed. You know, as soon as he actually gets a clearer vision of who God is, he doesn't go, right, okay, God, let's go. He's not ready for that. He goes, whoa, whoa, I am ruined. Like, this is it. Because I know I'm a man of unclean lips. That should be, at times, our response when we approach our maker. I won't read it all, but I think I put for you, uh, by contrast, the people in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. Basically, they, they were comfortable coming to God. They kept showing up at different places of worship and just dropping off their goods. Here, God, take this. I'm sure you're happy with me now. No change of heart. They basically thought they could pay off God, is what Isaiah tells us in the preliminary chapters before we get to this scene. So I, 
I find this to be a warning for us. What about us? When you hit a snag in your Christian life, do you or have you ever said, right, okay, what do I have to do? How many candles should I light? How many of a certain prayer should I pray? You know, what, maybe, maybe I haven't tithed in a while. How much do I need to give God? Have you ever tried to manipulate God? Have you ever made deals with God? Don't answer out loud. Let me tell you, that's a, it's not a good place because ultimately we will disappoint him and disappoint ourselves. We'll feel defeated, right? And we'll feel like, my Christian life, it's kind of a sham because I keep doing this and I just keep trying to make deals, but then I don't live up to, and uh, where am I going? What is this? Let's not go there. You see, when... When Isaiah kind of drops back, it reminds me of another real famous guy named Peter. Fishing all night, catches nothing. Jesus shows up, hey, throw a net right there. Look, I've been, I've been fishing, I am a fisherman, move along. I'm paraphrasing. So they catch this, this gigantic amount, and Peter, what does he say? Yes, gold. No, he goes running up to Christ, drops and goes, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Good heart answer. Now, I don't want to leave us there because it sounds pretty terrible. God knows we can't clean ourselves up. God knows we don't have it within us to make everything right. And he knows that we can't just pay him off. He knows that. But he can make us righteous. God can clean us up. God can get us back up on, us, on our feet. Wow. He takes care of that for Isaiah and for us. So stage four, we're cleansed. Isaiah admits his guilt and the guilt of all the people. And that cleansing is represented by basically an angel taking a burning hot coal, touching his lips. Because Isaiah understood his sin somehow through the fact that maybe he didn't have really nice speech. We read the same kind of thing in in Mark chapter 7, where, you know, that it's not through the mouth that we sin, it's from our heart. And what comes out of our mouth is coming from deep down inside. Yes? And so God touches him. He's clean. Clean. So maybe you don't want to have a hot coal touched to your lips. In my day when I was young and in my parents' day, anybody recognize that? Anybody experienced or know someone who had their mouth washed out with soap? I know some people who have. Apparently, it's unpleasant. Now, last week, I brought a big stick. I gave it to Tom and Lindsay, right? Do your kids still have their eyeballs? Because it was actually the kids that wanted it. I talked them into taking it. Here, Terry, give that to Tom later. <laughs> give that to them. That's safer, maybe. But God knows what to do. God cleanses Isaiah. God cleanses us. 
God takes the initiative. So here's another slightly humorous story, true story. Middle school in Oregon. The girls have discovered makeup. So every morning, they would come to school, all pile into the bathroom, do the big cherry red lipstick, and go up to the mirror for whatever reason, go, moi. And poor Joe, the custodian, was spending his day trying to clean off the mirrors in the bathrooms because of the mess that these girls were making. So the principal got fed up, brings all the girls into the bathroom and says, look, look at what you're doing. Look at the work. Look how hard Joe is having to work. This isn't right. Joe, show them. He thinks Joe's going to pull out a rag. And Joe gets an epiphany. And he takes out a squeegee, goes over to the toilet, dips into the toilet, it's a clean toilet water, goes to the mirror, and starts cleaning off. You know those girls never kiss that mirror again? Awesome. Joe is a smart man. Listen, that's not how God deals with us, thankfully. We're a people of unclean lips, of darkened hearts, of sinful nature. And God deals with us with love and grace and mercy again and again. So I want to do a little aside. This isn't part of the message. I'm inserting this right now. There's no, nothing to read about this. I want to talk to just a few of you about the gospel, okay? The good news. If you are a person that's been coming here all your life because that's just what you do, or maybe you're a young person, you're here because your parents drag you every week. Or maybe you're listening online because you kind of like the worship music, you like how happy people seem, and you're not sure what it's about, but it's kind of neat. If you're one of those people that's not quite there spiritually, you've heard the stories, but you haven't personally responded, I want to talk just to you for a minute. Everybody else, you can listen in. I want to invite you today to kind of wrestle with who is Jesus and get that issue settled. Later on in Isaiah, he he writes, all we, all of us, like sheep, we've gone astray. We have turned, each of us, to our own way. But the Lord God has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. All that we've done wrong has been poured onto Christ so that we would not receive the punishment we deserve. In the New Testament, it's worded similarly. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans says, the wages of sin, the payment for our sin is death, physically and spiritually. But the gift of God is eternal life. Not just to live forever, but to live right now through Christ Jesus our Lord. So how do you get there? Again, in Romans it says, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not a formula. It's not a magic trick. It's not a one and done, do it, now I've got my life insurance. It's a say it, believe it, trust in him. And things are different. Just like Isaiah arriving at the temple and things were different from then on. So here's my weird invitation to you. If what you just heard 
maybe you've heard it before, you haven't responded to, I want to invite you to not listen to me for the next couple of minutes. I'm almost done. One or two more steps here. If you haven't come to that place where you've wrestled and decided what to do about Jesus, just quietly, they don't have to come up here, just quietly think about that. Ask yourself about him and what do you need to do about him. Do that rather than listening to me. For the rest of you, please stay with me. We're almost there. Okay, stage five, we're called. We couldn't start with that. Isaiah didn't take one step in and God goes, you, come with me. No, Isaiah had to start with, you know what, I'm really concerned. And he had to himself go to God and consult him. And then God had to cleanse him once he confessed. All of those things had to happen. Now he's ready. Now he's prepped. He's primed. And then God says the question, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah's like, I'm right here. Send me. He could not have done that moments earlier when he was just in a place of life isn't good. What's going on? And in fact, I'm not clean either. He had to go through those stages. You see, you don't invent your calling. You don't save you. God saves us. God renews us. God gives us life. You don't receive your marching orders until you've been prepared. Moses couldn't go with that stick until he got right with God. Isaiah, same thing. So today, I'm kind of calling you, each of you, myself too, to obedience. God is on the move. God has a kingdom-building mission. God's doing it through us? So I wonder what he's asking you. Do you know what he's asking you? I have no idea. That's an individual thing. You're going to have to figure that out. But we don't stop there. There's one more stage. Stage six, we respond. We cooperate. Let me suggest to you, if you're not excited about what you've just heard, God has mission in mind and he's using us. And if you're not... mm, then go back in the stages. This is my big aha. This is the thing that I learned primarily as I read through this passage years ago, and this is, actually comes out of my own devotions, is that this is not a linear thing, it's a cycle. It goes on around and around and around, okay? We go through this process throughout our Christian lives. We get concerned, and then we consult him, and then we need to get cleaned up, and then he does something. There's a, there's a continuous change there. So it's not really appropriate to say, yeah, I served in Sunday school 12 years ago for about three years. I've done my bit. I think, and I'm not talking about service here. I'm not just talking about working. I'm talking about living for God, living out Christ. I think it's a continuous process of heart change. That's what Christian life is, transformation. So I'm going to close with this story and then we'll pray. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, he made it a habit 
of going to uh, the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church, Reverend Dr. Gurley was the pastor. He would go Wednesday nights to hear the message and not wanting to intrude or, you know, for people to make a fuss because he was there, he would go and sit in the study next door to the sanctuary and listen in. And he always had this kind of aide with him. And one time this young aide at the end of the uh, sermon said, what did you think about that message, Mr. President? And Lincoln goes, oh, I thought it was well thought through. I thought it was very eloquent. It was powerfully delivered. And so the aide said, so you thought that was an, a great sermon. And he said, no, it failed. Because Dr. Gurley didn't call us to action, didn't call us to do anything. I think every time we go and read scripture, I think every time we hear a message, there needs to be kind of a, so what? If you don't ask yourself anything else, at the end of a message, say to yourself, so what? What's that matter? What do I need to do? What's my response to that? And it might be just something where you need to talk to God. It might be actually physically doing something. I don't know. But I think God, just like Morgan Freeman coming to Jim Carrey, I believe God has shown up today. I know he did in the worship time. And I know he can through his word. So we need to ask ourselves, so what? Let's pray. Lord, whether we're nine years old or 99, we're here. We're before you. And if we are believers, then you are calling us in some way. I don't know what you're asking us or asking of us, Lord. But I believe that you're constantly speaking, constantly nudging, constantly asking. Maybe for somebody here, you're saying, will you be concerned? Will you be concerned about what's happening in this city? Will you be concerned about the, uh, the ministries within this church? I don't know, Lord. I don't know. But I know you might be asking someone, someone's to be concerned. You could be saying to someone, will you consult me? Will you, in doing that, get to know who I am? Will you primarily want to know all about Jesus and what he's like and what what he said and what he did and how that impacts us. You could be saying to just one person here, Lord, why won't you be cleansed? Why won't you humble yourself and admit you can't get through this life on your own strength? Lord, would you speak to that heart? But I know, Lord, I know that you're calling us, calling us to something greater than who we are right now, perpetually. And how awesome would it be, Lord, if you <laughs> showed up next week, if God was here, if Jesus was alive, if your spirit was evident, so that we lived out the statement that you can do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us. I long for that, Lord, with me. I pray many here would long for that for themselves. Do your good work, Lord. Do it gently. Woe is us. We trust you. Amen.